We are uh, going to continue our walk through the uh, later part of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, where Paul makes this tremendous promise uh, and challenge to us to put on the full armor of God. And so if you uh, have a Bible, then I'd uh, encourage you to turn in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and it'll also be projected on the screen if you'd like to look at it that way. This is what the apostle says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your, to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God for that. I want to uh, tell you a story uh, that gets us, at least gets me in the mindset, and I hope it does for all of us, of uh, what we're thinking about today is we're putting on the armor of God, and we're thinking particularly about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I want to tell you a story about um, a friend of mine named Jim. Now, I met Jim uh, when I started hanging around church a little bit, and when, especially when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. For me, that happened when I was a junior in high school. And I started going to this little uh, energetic little church that my grandma and aunt had started going to. And I started going with them to that and became a follower of Jesus Christ. And I met Jim there. And Jim is a contractor. He is a character in every sense of the word. Uh, And one of the things that really I found compelling about Jim when I first met him and got to know him a little bit was how much he knew the Bible. And uh, that was just something that really gripped me because I didn't know anybody that, that knew the Bible at the time. And Jim, though, always seemed to be able to just quote Scripture. And if I had questions about the Bible, he'd help me think through those. I mean, I don't know, for those of you that have gone to church uh, most of your lives, um, if you know what it feels like to actually encounter the Gospels for the very first time. But I started reading the book of Matthew, and you come across uh, God uh, sending his... Uh, son to be conceived in a young woman, but her, her husband-to-be didn't know that. And so then God has to send an angel to talk to the stepdad of Jesus, Joseph, and say, Mary's not sleeping with anybody else, okay? This is something I'm doing. And then Joseph has to become okay with that, right? And then the next thing we know, Jesus is born, but the king doesn't want Jesus to be born, so he sends his soldiers to kill all the babies in the whole city and gets all of them except for Jesus. And then we flash forward, and Jesus is an adult, and he's being baptized, whatever that means. And 
after he's baptized, he goes out into the desert and he has this conversation with the devil. Right? I mean, that's just the first four chapters of Matthew. I started reading the Bible and I had a lot of questions. Jim was not afraid of my questions. He wrestled with me, uh, wrestled with those questions with me and helped me kind of come to grips with who is God and what's going on in the Gospels and who is this Jesus character that, um, that I found so compelling but also, I mean, just a little bit weird. I started to learn more about the faith and, and read the Bible and, um, and one day... I showed up at church expecting to see Jim, and almost every week I'd come with some questions that I wanted to talk with him about. And uh, he wasn't there. And another week went by, and he wasn't there. And so I asked some of the folks from the church, hey, where's Jim? You know, I haven't seen him lately. And I got this kind of awkward, well, he's out of town kind of a thing, which left me knowing that something was going on, but nobody's going to tell me because I'm 16. Well, Another week goes by and no gym. Finally, I look over in church one day and I see his wife sitting there. And I hadn't seen her for weeks too. So I thought, yeah, they're out of town, they're on vacation, whatever. Well, in the middle of one of the songs, um, I start to see her shoulders begin to shake. The way people do when they're going to start crying and they're trying to hold it back. And then I started to hear these kind of muted but deep sobs. And I'm a 16-year-old guy who's just starting to understand what this church thing is about. So I look over to my grandma because I don't know what to do with a, with a grown woman who's crying in the middle of church. And I'm like, and my grandma leans over and says, um, Jim left her for another woman in the church. And then my shoulders start to shake. And I start to have those deep, muted sobs. Broke my heart. I learned a lesson that day that has stuck with me. This is the lesson. There is a huge difference between knowing the truth and wearing it. Jim knew the truth. He could quote it from his, from his memory. He could talk to other people about it. But when it came down to this piece of his life, he knew what was right. He knew what was true. But he didn't wear it. You know, in some ways, I owe my love of Scripture to Jim helping to cultivate in me that love. But in other ways, I live with a a residential fear of knowing it but not wearing it because because of what he did. This semester, we are thinking about becoming the people that we're made to be in Jesus Christ. Embracing the gift of new life that God gives us in Jesus Christ and embracing the transformation that comes with that. In a land where we are surrounded by stagnation and status quo, we want to become the people that God is making us to be. 
The Apostle Paul describes, though, for us the challenge of becoming those new kind of people in a land in which the enemy of God and the powers of darkness are constantly throwing at us a different message and coming against us with force to try to tear down the new life, to try to keep the status quo of life in stagnation and darkness. Paul says the way we combat and the way we live out that new way of life in the midst of a land where there's darkness is to put on the full armor of God. That if we want to be transformed into people who are made into the image of Jesus Christ, we have to receive that gift for all that it is, and then we have to wear it. And so Paul says from the outset, put the belt of truth around your waist. Now, I tell you, I read this phrase in Greek, and it is not easily translated. The, Old, the New Testament's originally written in Greek, and so we get all of our translations from that. And having the belt of truth buckled around your waist just doesn't quite carry the force. It's this really evocative phrase. It's actually, gird your loins in truth. I just had to say that in church. That's so good. <laughs> gird your loins. Actually, if you read the, the Old King James, it still says that. Gird your loins in truth. Put on your big boy pants in truth. Right? Cowgirl up in truth. Suit up in truth. Lock and load in truth. That's what this phrase says. Right? It's a call to battle. It's a call to stand up in truth. The first piece of equipment that a Roman centurion put on was his belt. Right? Putting on the belt kind of girded up the, the toga. Right? It keeps the centurion from running around and having his, his clothes all twisted up and tripping over in the midst of the battle his toga. That's what the belt that, he, that Paul refers to does. Doesn't that so fittingly describe what truth does for us? Right? Because when we walk around with deceit or with lies, man, it's always tripping us up. We're always getting caught up in it. But if we walk in truth, we put on the belt. And when soldiers put on the belt, they're able to move securely and freely without getting tangled up. The way Scripture describes truth, aletheia, it's my daughter's name, by the way, that's how you remember it, is not the same way that uh, often philosophy will describe truth, especially as philosophy became more modernized. Um, in scriptures, truth is not understood in terms of information acquired, or it's not commodified that way. There are lots of great treaties on truth, and I'm not even going to touch those this morning. Some of them are fantastic and beautiful. I'd encourage you to read them. But they don't necessarily help us understand what scripture means by truth. So I'm just going to kind of took this gigantic term, truth, and I'm going to set it over on the shelf for now and just tell you what Scripture means when it says truth. Truth in the Scriptures is very earthy. It's very practical and pragmatic. It's how things really are. In contrast with deception and lies and non-disclosure, truth in the Scriptures is reality from God's angle. Seeing everything unmasked, unclothed, and as it is. 
And in a very helpful way, the Apostle Paul helps us understand what, it, what truth means and how we wear it in this letter to the churches in the vicinity of Ephesus. In chapter 4, actually, so if we back up, we find out that Paul has talked quite a bit about truth. And in chapter 4, verse 21, this is what he says. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't even let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. If we're going to put on truth the way Paul says we are empowered to do by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ, we must first take off deceitful desires. We all have desires, right? Desires to be loved. Desires for intimacy. Desires for acknowledgement. And desires to be secure. Desires in themselves aren't bad. In fact, God made us in such a way that we desire good things, that we desire all that he has for us. The trouble comes when we try to fulfill those desires in a way that is contrary to God. Because when we start to do that, we start to put on deceit in order to cover up how we're getting those desires fulfilled. My friend Jim had a desire for intimacy because his own marriage had grown tired and shallow. But rather than pursuing intimacy with his wife and trying to reinvigorate that intimacy, he took a different route and became involved with another married woman from the congregation. And together they put on deceit and took off truth. Some of you have clothed yourselves with deceit around your sexuality. And you have desires that you've given expression to in deceitful ways, ways that you hide from other people. Some of you have desires to achieve here at GVSU, but you've put on deceit in finding ways to get the grades that you want dishonestly. Everyone in this room, I think, wants to get a good job after college and after you graduate. But how many of us have put on deceit when we start filling out the resume? Because, boy, we want it to stand out from the crowd. We put on deceit whenever we don't embrace and trust what God has for us and we try to take it for ourselves. And when we put on deceit, we, we take off truth. The bug about this, the evil in it, is that quite often when we put on deceit, we get what we asked for. We put on deceit and we get what we wanted, but it comes with a price, doesn't it? comes with a price of not being that person that deep down 
man, we really want to be. And we feel like we could be if it wasn't for this. If we want to be the people that we're made to be, we have to take off the deceit that accompanies our desires. And the way we take off deceit is through confession. Confession is the act of uncloaking deceit and taking on truth. When we confess, deceit is exposed for what it is, and it loses its power in our lives. It hurts. I mean, let's be honest. It hurts to tell somebody that you've lied to them. Sometimes, for some reason, it seems easier just to go to God and say, God, I need your forgiveness, but when God says, I want you to say that to another person, But confession has power to unmask the deceit and to unmask the powers. Psalm 32 actually paints an amazing picture of the freedom that comes with confession. It's a very beautiful, simple statement. It says this, While I kept silent about my sin, you could easily insert my deceit, My body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Doesn't it feel that way? But then, I said I'll confess my sin. I acknowledge my sin, and I would not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my transgressions. It feels like such a weight when we carry deceit, and yet confession is where freedom lies. It's where the ability to walk into new life lies. But we have to take off deceit in order to put on the truth. When we walk into the battle of the Spirit, without strapping around our waist truth, without girding our loins in truth, it's like going to battle with all of our gear kind of unbuckled. You know, lies and deceit in our lives, they they trip us up, they keep us from becoming who it is that God has made us to be. But if we confess that stuff, we take it off And we secure ourselves for the battle that we find ourselves in. I mean, can you imagine how freeing it would be to simply not carry the burden of deceit that's on your back? To not worry about someone finding out what's happened. To be free, to be genuine and transparent about who you are. Wouldn't it be great to be in a community of people that was like that? A community where you can trust that the person talking to you is not trying to manipulate you and who has your best interest in mind? Who can hold the, the struggle that you're going through and walk with you through it? I mean, how hard would evangelism be if we simply said, this is who we are in Christ? God has freed us from the powers of darkness that controlled our lives. 
And together we are trying to become people who are genuine and honest and true. That's who we are. Do you want to come? Do you want to be a part of that? Man. What if? What if we could embrace it and actually be those people that we're meant to be, that are free from the power and the darkness that deceit holds in our lives? Because then, if we will put on that belt of truth that God has for us and walk in genuineness and freedom, then we can start to put on that breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is um, a word that doesn't get used really anywhere outside of the church. It's a word that if I were to ask most of you, you'd say, if I said, do you know righteousness? Have you heard this word before? You'd say, oh yeah, I know the word. And if I were to say, now, can you explain it to me? Blank stare. Right? Doesn't have much use in, in our society much, but righteousness is very uh, simply in Scripture, loving God and loving your neighbor put into practice. It's being blameless before God. It's doing what it is and who we are made to be. Um, truth is something that we wear. Righteousness is something that we are. It's a gift given to us in Jesus Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved. Paul says in other places, you have received Christ's righteousness on you. It's the gift. And so Paul's instruction is, be who you are. Be who you are in Christ. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul goes on to say what that looks like in our lives. He says, uh, Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, for such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I mean, that kind of hits you right in the face, doesn't it? Live as children of the light. I mean, so many of us, we get defeated in our struggle, even before we get started, because while we are called children of the light, we wander around in darkness. We flirt with sexual immorality. We go right up to the edge of obscenity. We gorge ourselves on sarcastic humor and cynicism, and then we wonder, man, why am I just not growing spiritually? Hey, I may be just talking to myself this morning. But guys, I got to wonder. I'm talking to the guys here, genetically speaking, the guys. If you want to be righteous, 
and free from the powers of sexual immorality in your life, but you keep watching those Rihanna videos, man, it ain't going to happen. If you have internet in a private bedroom and you shut the door and use it and you want to become righteous, man, it ain't going to happen. I'm happily married to a beautiful woman and I've got two children. I will not turn on the computer if my wife's not home or if she's asleep because I know how much power the temptations are in my life. I got a hunch I'm not alone. If you want to be free from the powers of darkness in your life, you got to become radical about righteousness. As radical as a soldier who's preparing for battle. That's what Paul's telling us here. That's the image he's painting for us. You want to do battle against the forces of darkness that are coming against who God is making you to be in Jesus Christ, you got to be a radical. This isn't a spectator sport. And ladies, if you want to become righteous and free from the powers of darkness that linger in the shadows of your life, you're going to have to get radical about righteousness. I can hear some of you just, I can see it in your eyes when I'm talking to the guys about the internet and watching Rihanna videos. You're like, preach! Come on, Scott. (laughs) Right? But let me tell you, if you want to be free from the lies our culture is telling you about what it means to be beautiful and to be a woman, you need to not watch the Kardashians or Jersey Shores. Just saying. Because it ain't going to happen. Righteousness ain't going to happen. Becoming the person you're meant to be in Christ ain't going to happen. If you're constantly filling yourselves with that. And you're saying, this is the model for me. I mean, really, do you want to be like that? Let me just stop there. <laughs> right? I know this is pushing buttons. All right? I, I realize this. Please don't go home and tell your roommate, man, Pastor Scott said we can't listen to any music, we can't watch TV, no internet, we got to go back to the dark ages. I'm not telling you that. You're free in Christ. You're adults. You can make your own decisions. You don't have to do what I tell you to do. I'm just telling you this. If you want to become righteous, if you want to become the person that God is making you to be, and you're still filling yourselves with these other things, ain't going to happen. Here's an audit that I want you to do in your life. If you're serious about this, if you really want to get radical about becoming the person God is making you to be and desires for you to be and rejoices in you becoming, do this audit in your life. Ask yourself two questions. How much time and money do I spend in a month on stuff that by its nature Paul names in Ephesians 5? Things that are sexually explicit, obscene, sarcastic, and endorse a life of self-indulgence. How much money and time are you spending on that in a month? Just a week. If that's too much, just go down to a day. And then ask the second question. How much time and money do I spend in a month on the stuff that by its nature is good and righteous and true? And you'll get your quotient for righteousness and becoming the person you want to be, the person that you're made to be in Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't want you to hear me putting you into bondage and telling you what you, need to, what you can and can't do. But this isn't rocket science. 
This is about desire. The desire for righteousness versus the desire for pleasure. The great bait and switch of the devil is to say, these are the things that are going to make you happy, and then they enslave you. That we even want righteousness and have any desire for the presence of a righteous God is an act of grace. It's only because of God's work in our lives that we even begin to want it. But that experience of grace awakens in us a hunger, a yearning for life on different terms, for the life we're meant to live. Life without chains. Freedom. Freedom from the darkness and the things that oppress us spiritually and physically. If you will be radical about embracing that, embracing righteousness and shunning sin, you will experience true freedom. This is the promise of God. To be a child of the light. Blessed. Happy. Joyful. Full. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they, they will be filled. This is the promise of God for the people of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, and we're going to sing, we're going to sing songs that say, I want it. I want it, God. And if that's where you are, I, I encourage you to say it to God. I want it. I want this life that you have for me. And if you're not there yet, don't, don't hear condemnation from me. I'm just talking about if you want it. If you want to embrace the gift that God has for you, it's there. But it takes radical life. As radical as a soldier going to battle. That kind of decision and that kind of move in order to become who you're made to be in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for you now. And after that, we're going to sing those songs. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our righteousness. We love you and we long for you. We want to embrace you. But there are so many things that stand in our way. So much stuff that weighs us down and gets, gets in front of us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now who feel you tugging on them to take off the seat. I pray that you would give them power to pull it off of them and to embrace truth. And I pray for them as they take an audit of their lives about what they receive and what they participate in against what you yearn for them and what you long for uh, to be true in their lives. I pray for them. And I pray for the power to be able to stand in the face of the, of the things that come against them that tell them to go another way, that try to give them those deceitful desires and that they might embrace righteousness for all that it is and make radical choices for it. They can't do this, God. I can't do this. This team can't do it unless your spirit is at power working in us to, to help us, to enable us to do it. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come with power to change us and transform us into the people that you have made us to be. Hear this prayer, we ask it in the name of our Holy Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said,
Amen. Would you stand?